the uh, Lord provided a little more white moisture. Did you get some, Carol? Did you get a little bit up there? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I uh, wasn't expecting that, and I told Brad, I said, I got up and shoveled this morning. What about you? <laughs> and he might have had a little more snow in your head. I don't know. Uh, but we're grateful that uh, the Lord provides our needs, and uh, we're grateful you're here uh, with us this morning to offer our best in support or in, in worship of our God. It is uh, a beautiful Lord's Day. Okay. We have a little snafu with some of our uh, technology, and so every time you hear me say the word, okay, <laughs> we're going to see if that works. I don't know. <laughs> and I'll probably forget. I'll get somewhere and we'll, what? Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm hoping this works. <sighs> Paul writes to Timothy and uh, describes the proper function of the Lord's body. When, when you think about what your purpose is here on earth, and as a collective group, as a body of the body of Christ here in Montrose, what is your function? What should you be doing? Uh, is there anything you should be doing? Just kind of showing up and kind of saying, hello, how are you doing in the lobby, and then disappear. It's like, well... Maybe it's a little more than that. Maybe there's something else that you should be involved in. Well, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, here's what I want to see uh, in, in the body of Christ. Here's what your proper function needs to be. <clears throat> As Paul writes this, if you will, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And there's just a couple of verses that, that kind of stand out, and it's just, to me, it's just fascinating when I think about the, the concept of, of our function as the body of Christ. And if, if you want, we'll just read a couple of these verses. Look about verse 14, 314 of 1 Timothy. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who re was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Well, those verses give us a very uh, a snapshot of our function as the body of Christ. He says, I want you to be the pillar and support of the truth. Have you ever thought of yourself as a pillar and support of the truth? This is what Paul wants to see in the church there in Ephesus, and he also says in the church in general. And Jesus himself, okay, would, would mention this very thing. When asked this question, of all the questions on earth. What a great question. What is truth? And remember Jesus' reply. He said, this is why I'm here. This is the very reason that I'm in this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Okay? Amen. <laughs> 
And this carries this idea through the entire book of 1 Timothy. And I want you to think about every word in, in Paul's writing. He says, this is without a doubt. He says, this is what I want to see without a doubt. Without controversy. This is a common confession. There is no doubt about it. It's undeniable, and it's, it's this mystery of, of godliness, and it's, it's fantastic. <clears throat> he goes on to say these words, great is this mystery of godliness. The idea of being without controversy, most certain, undeniable. When we uh, go to a court of law, uh, we convict and we say, beyond a reasonable doubt. And Paul says, great is this confession. This is undeniable. There's no doubt about this great confession. Okay, when you look at this idea of being great, literally, this concept is the supremacy of truth. Okay, boom, the truth. Jesus wants us to understand, and Paul wants us to understand the supremacy of the truth. God's plan for all of us is of supreme importance. And this concept of, of being great, this idea that we cannot live without this information, we cannot live without the expression of this truth. God is sort of like this, uh, the idea of oxygen, and He provides our, our very existence. Imagine, without it, we can't survive. And this truth, He says, this is the purpose that I came to this earth, to bear witness to the truth, to uh, give this concept into the world. Great. It's unshakable. By common confession, great is this mystery. Okay, think about this little word, is. We don't really talk about that little word, and it's part of our vernacular, but it's a, it's a powerful verb. Great is. Truth is relevant. Okay, God's plan does not expire. If you ever come across uh, something that's written by Josh, and I believe that's his son, Sean, uh, but uh, Josh McDowell has written many, many books on, on faith, and I recommend them. His, some of his theology is definitely questionable, but uh, it's very well written. But it's interesting to think about this idea of great is this mystery. It's in the present tense. God's plan doesn't expire. And as long as the earth remains, the most important matter is the gospel by which the Lord makes men godly. This is the great truth. This is the great mystery. And it's unshakable. There's nothing that can overtake it. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, you as the church, I want you to support this truth, the pillar of and support. Okay. 
the mystery. By common confession, great is the mystery. It's been revealed. There is no longer something questionable about it. God has spoken. And in fact, the whole purpose of of the Old Testament is to identify, define sin and what God is displeased with. And it points us to a, a need for a Savior. And he says, I've spoken about sin, and I want you to understand that. And I've, I've given you the avenue of salvation. The mystery has been revealed, and it's been revealed in time. He created time, and he said, now this mystery is no longer a mystery. It's been revealed in time, and it will point into something beyond time. What a great mystery. And imagine all the prophets, all the the faithful men and women of old, they didn't have the information that we have. They had just maybe just little snapshots, just little bits and pieces. And they tried to figure it out, and, and, and they, would, they would be perplexed about it. But we can look back over time, and we can say, I see how this all fits together. I see the great plan of God, this great mystery, has now been revealed. And he says, now this is this great mystery. This is the revelation of something fantastic. It's going to point us into what we do and how we do it here on this earth. Okay. He says, this, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. The very purpose of truth. Truth leads us into this relationship with God, and then he says, I want you to be like me. Peter would write and quote, Be holy, because I am holy. Now that is quite the standard. I have to live up to that? I have to be godly? And people sometimes will throw up their hands and say, it's just impossible, I can't do it. Well, if God requires it of me, apparently I can do it. He says, here's my will, I need you to conform to my will. And it's a process. And as I look around the room, there are different places where people are in their process of godliness. And it's interesting to think about how, how we attain godliness and how, how we live up to that standard. He says, this is the mystery that's been revealed, and it points somewhere. It points to our very action, our very activity on this earth. The truth not only restrains, it transforms And Paul, in the next breath, says, here is this great mystery that's been revealed, and it's going to lead us into a life of godliness. Okay, think about this. He who was revealed in the flesh. I hear these little voices And I see these little babies, and whenever I do, I think of our Lord. He came to earth as a baby. And what does a baby need? 
And when does a baby need that? <laughs> and what does the baby do to communicate that information? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like parenting is for the young. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't that good at it anyway. But it's just fascinating to me to think of this idea of, of Jesus being manifested in the flesh. God's plan required a body. God's plan required those little toes and those little fingers, those little ears and that little nose. And imagine Mary holding that, that infant, God, in flesh, manifested in the flesh. And I love the passages in Scripture where it says, and, and Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. As she's holding the creator of the universe, a helpless babe. And imagine her playing those little games with his toes and his fingers. Got your nose. Imagine that. I mean, we just kind of skip over that part. It's like, no, here's, here's the great mystery. It's been revealed. And he says, I want you to see this, this plan of God. It requires flesh for his one unique son making it possible for us to realize what God is like. And remember, Jesus would later say in his ministry, he would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Mary, is, as, as, as this infant grows into a, a small child, and, and then they have more children, and, and he's in this home. And, and Joseph there is out in the shop making furniture or whatever carpenters do and it's like yeah imagine this manifestation in the flesh this mystery has been revealed okay he goes on to say vindicated was vindicated vind was vindicated in the spirit Proving both the person and the work of our Lord. Peter would, la would later write, he would say something like this. He would say, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. When, when Jesus took on this body, as, as he progressed through his life, he looked toward the end and he said, I am going to prove my love for you. I'm going to prove it by what I do. And he gave himself to die on the cross. Probably the most attested fact in human history. There's enough proof that Jesus did actually die on the cross. There's enough proof from both uh, hostile witnesses as well as those faithful followers. Those women that stood at the foot of the cross. That, that Roman centurion that pierced his side. That saw him die. And then Nicodemus Joseph, uh, uh, of Arimathea. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea would take him down from the cross. And, and wrap his body. His dead body. In the tomb. All of this would be vindication. This would be proof declared to be the Son of God in power. 
according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Unjustly condemned. We would call it a kangaroo court. They broke so many laws that night. We lost count of how many laws were broken. Unjustly condemned. Put to death. Buried. But raised on the third day. Proof. Justified in the Spirit. Paul says he was vindicated in the Spirit. Okay, the next phrase. Seen by angels. And as you think back in your memory, as you think back even just a few weeks ago as we we celebrated the birth of Christ and you read and maybe reread those passages that are found in the Scripture, the very first thing, the announcement came and it was angels to shepherds, angels proclaiming the birth of the Savior, announcing His birth to an unlikely group of people. Those individuals, and I believe were were actually the shepherds that were, were tending the flock that would be used as sacrificial lambs for the Jewish community. There, in, if it is, it happened in, in December, there they are in the middle of winter, and, and they still got to take care of those lambs. They still got to take care of them. And Jesus is announced by angels. But that's not the only place that the angels are involved. They attend him in the wilderness when Satan tempts Jesus, the, the angels are there uh, comforting after that 40 days and 40 nights. And, and there the angels are. And again, in the garden of Gethsemane, before he's arrested and unjustly condemned and put to death, angels are there. And they're, they're with him. He's not there alone even though his apostles have fallen fast asleep. And then as, as the third day dawns and, and the women are, are remembering what Jesus said and they, they go to the tomb, but he's not there. Who's there? Angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What a great question. <laughs> he told you he's going to rise again. Don't you believe him? They're there and they're, they're, they're perplexed and angels are there to comfort those women. And then some 50 days later, on that Mount of Ascension, as Jesus tells his apostles, stay here until you receive power from on high, and what happens? He begins to ascend and imagine. They, they look up and they're watching and He disappears from their sight. After a while, something gets so far away that you can't see it. And you can't see him anymore, and they're gazing into the sky, and they're... Angels are there in the clouds. And they go, what are you looking at? The way he left, he's going to return the same way. Angels, seen by angels. Angels have always been interested and curious about what's going on here. And they've been given a specific task. And they're here for us. They were here for him. 
And these angels observed all of this, in, this wonderful mystery as it's unfolding right before their eyes. And I could just imagine them on the edge of their seat watching this whole thing unfold, amazed at the very plan of God. Okay. He says, preached among the nations. Maybe your version says proclaimed. And <coughs> in our history in the United States, uh, when uh, the government had the audacity to charge a, a 1% tax on tea, 1%, we said, that's enough of that. And this George Whitfield, he began preaching in the early uh, 1700s, and he began looking at the passages of Scripture about tyranny and about uh, the uh, idea of being free, being free from God. And George began to preach this, and other preachers picked it up. And because of this, a country <laughs> was established based on, uh, imagine this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine a country built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just imagine that. We've benefited from that for the last 240 plus years, and sadly we're, we're turning our back on that. But proclaimed among the nations, he says, this is the universal message, and it doesn't just apply to the United States, doesn't just apply to what is our arch, arch enemy these days, it's uh, Iran or uh, Russia, it's always Russia, uh, but it's like, it applies to everyone, anyone, everywhere, it doesn't matter your nationality, it was preached among the nations, and I might add, at great cost. You think about those 12 individuals that were the closest to Jesus, and then the replacement of Judas, and then Paul added, and it's like, you think about those men, and what they had to endure, the only one that lived to be an old man was the Apostle John. And then he was put on an island where he could look across the bay there and he could see the churches that he had worked with. He could see kind of the land mass that's over there. And yet he couldn't be a part of the body anymore. The government had banned him. And imagine the heartache that he had as he looked across and he, he could see where he had once preached. But you see, the universal message, it, it went into all the world. In fact, Jesus tells us, go into all the world. And some, I know some churches have on the back, on the door as you're leaving, it says, you are now entering the world. <laughs> it doesn't have to be in Africa. It doesn't have to be in Honduras. It doesn't have to be in Hungary or the Ukraine. It, it could be your next door neighbor. You're now entering the world. When you leave here, you're entering the world. He says, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. There's the proclamation, this universal message, and it needs to spread throughout the world. And what does it provide? Okay. Think about this. It provides faith. Believed on in the world. Salvation is available only through the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only place salvation is available, and it's 
It's not in however you feel about it. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter all that. He says it's only found in one individual. The gospel of Christ needs to be obeyed. Salvation is provided when the gospel is faithfully preached to honest souls, truth brings salvation. We've been given this ministry. We talked about it a few weeks ago, maybe it was last week, this ministry of reconciliation, this idea that we can bring people back into a right relationship with God. We've been given that ministry, and he says, <coughs> I want you to be actively involved in this. I want you to bring this message of salvation to anyone who will listen. The truth can literally open the eyes of the blind. It's happened in our history. Acts chapter 22, verse 13, Paul is reminded or reminding uh, those that will listen, he says, I was literally blinded by Jesus Christ. And for three days he was blind. He couldn't see. He had to be led into the city. And imagine you are on a mission to find Christians and put them to death or at least have them arrested, but you can't even see. Think of the irony of that. Well, I hope that turns out for you, Mr. Magoo. It's like, you can't even see. You, you can't see and you're off wandering around the darkness for three days. Ananias is tasked with preaching the gospel of salvation to this heathen, <laughs> even though he's a, he's a Jew, a Jew's Jew, he has turned his back on God and the plan of salvation, and Ananias has to go in and, and share that gospel message with him, and it says the, the, the scales fell off and he could see. It provides physical sight, but also the truth can figuratively open our eyes. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18 describes that activity. He says, in that context, he says, this is what the truth does. So you can see the importance of salvation. Fascinating. The truth can open our eyes. And then Jesus is taken up in glory, okay? Glorified. Remember, all during his ministry, those, that three and a half years, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. One time he said, my time has not yet come, and he disappeared in the crowd. They wanted to make him king. He says, my time has not yet come. And it's like, well, he knew his time schedule. And finally, here in John 17, he says, my, the hour of my glorification has come. Time's up. The hour of my glorification, this is my time. This is why I've been sent here. Received up in glory. Remember the last thing he said on the cross, he said, it's finished. And he breathed his last. 
What did he mean? I've completed the will of God. I've done what the plan required. I spilled, allowed my blood to be spilled so that we could benefit and have salvation. Huh. Taken up in glory. His position. You ever thought about where he is now and what he's doing now? You see, that day that the apostles watched him leave this earth and he promised them, I will return again. He is now reigning as king. He is now interceding on our behalf. Interceding, what does that mean? He is standing there in the presence of God talking about us to our Father. And he says, just wait a second, just wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you a little bit about that guy. Let me tell you. This is the struggles that he's been having. This is the trouble that he's been in. And now look, look at the, he's turned the corner. He's interceding. He's our advocate. Because there's an accuser. And that accuser is saying, he deserves death. It's like the, uh, the prosecuting attorney, and he's like, I've got proof. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is a sinner. He deserves death. And what does Jesus say? I'm his defense lawyer. I'm his advocate. John, 1 John chapter 2, if we sin... We have an advocate. We've got somebody on our side. He understands the law. How do I know he understands the law? He wrote the law. He says, you stick with me. He's our advocate, and he ever lives. The beauty of, of just these few verses, and if we go back and reread them, beginning in verse 14, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed, I write, so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. What's the truth, Paul? He says it's a common confession. It is without doubt a great mystery of godliness. Here's the great mystery revealed. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Okay. This body of information is truth. We have taught the last two or three generations in our public schools and our universities across the United States that truth is relative. That's a lie. There's a body of information that is absolute truth. And it's been translated into our language. Praise the Lord for that. Imagine trying to learn Hebrew this week. So you could learn the mystery. Or Greek. At least Greek has vowels. Hebrew doesn't even have vowels. It's like that television show, you want to buy a vowel? I think the Hebrews needed to buy a vowel. And you just make them up. It's like, um, maybe that's an E sound or an I sound. I don't know. Imagine trying to do that. 
It's been translated into English. So we're without excuse, and the world needs this body of information. It describes our Father and His relationship with us as people. This body of truth, this information, identifies sin. What displeases God and what pleases Him. And he says, I've provided a way back, a way that you can be saved. It's a body of information that's going to benefit us for eternity. I, I should probably find out as much as I can about this information. I should probably, I don't know, study it. I should probably read it. I should probably, in fact, have you started this year? Have you said, this year I'm going to read through the Bible. <laughs> have you started that yet? And it's fun at first, right, until you get to Leviticus. <laughs> and like, man, can you imagine being a Levite? It's like, I got to do what to what? I got to, that's going to be a bloody mess. Yep. But you can get through. You'll get through Leviticus and Numbers and all those names. This body of information, it needs to be part of our life, part of our existence, into our mind. And he says, while you're here, while time exists, Here's something you can be involved in because eternity is just around the corner. And that old saying, hell is hot and eternity is a long time. <laughs> but heaven is real and eternity is a long time. You see, there's, there's a benefit understanding this body of information. And he says, as the church, okay, as the church, you are the pillar and support. Okay. There it is. All right. <laughs> and this is our objective. This is what we do. This is who we are. I want you to imagine yourself as a pillar. And support. And when you see one, I want you to think of yourself, well, that, that kind of looks like me. Especially the top part. No. <laughs> but that's who we are as the body of Christ. You're the pillar and support of the church, uh, of the truth. May the church remain in our, in our duty. Jesus says, I have information and it's going to benefit you. That's the truth. And we've benefited. Those of us who have put our Lord on in baptism, we've benefited. And now we have something proactive to do. Pillar and support. Okay, here's what Jesus finally says. I am the way. I am the the truth. Huh. And I'm the life. You want to get to the Father? You want to have a relationship with Him? You want to live with Him for eternity? You want to be one of His children? Jesus says, you come through me. That's it. That's our choice. And the beauty of our existence, we get to make 
that choice. We get to choose our father. We get to choose our brother. He wants us with him. Are you with him? If not, the invitation is open for you. If you are, stay with him. Oh, Satan's going to try to distract you. Satan's going to try to throw all kinds of problems at you. Satan's going to do whatever he can to get you to turn your back on the life. But he says, don't listen to that guy. He is going to lose. You are going to win. Jesus wants you with him. And if you need to respond 